Hello and welcome to the Build with Clay podcast. I am your host, Clay Davis. This podcast is designed to introduce you to people from across the world who have one thing in common. They want to grow in their life and inspire others. You'll get a front row seat to hear about how they define their mindset and their purpose. We'll unearth their habits, their failures, and learnings throughout their journey. And this will allow you to take those habits, those failures, and those learnings and apply them to your personal growth journey, no matter where you're trying to build yourself and grow. This podcast is designed for you, so thank you for being here. Prepare to meet interesting people, hear fun stories, learn something new, and plan to leave inspired. In this episode, I connect with Rick Lombardi, or who I call Uncle Rick. Rick graduated with a degree in botany. His first job out of school was making handguns at Smith & Wesson. He went back to school to get a degree in chemical engineering and began his career with Dow Chemical, where he spent 36 years as an executive, leading four different facilities in both the U.S. and Canada, and finished his career by leading Dow's environmental health and safety expertise organization. Rick also was active in Dow's Inspire to Serve program, which is designed to develop colleagues' leadership skills across the entire company. In this episode, Rick shares his leadership experience, how to build a network, and we get into some interesting topics like unconscious bias, leading from your core, and servant leadership. Enjoy. Super excited to have Rick Lombardi on the podcast today. Rick is gentle, kind, smart. He's got a very, very strong work ethic. He cares deeply for others. He cares deeply for the Red Sox, and I'm very proud to call him my uncle. So Rick, Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Clay. And thank you for inviting me to have a chat with you. I would love to ask you a couple of just introductory questions. I know you're a big music guy. So if you could only listen to one musical artist or band for the next 10 years, which band or artist would you choose? Oh, that's tough. It's tough because I, I I would probably choose the uh, the the Beatles, but the Rolling Stones and Bruce Springsteen would be like right behind them. All right, the Beatles. They got plenty of hits. I've heard yes, of them. They do. Yes, they do. <laughs> Another one. If you were about to be a passenger on a road trip, and you entered a convenience store to get one drink and one snack, what would you get? I'd get an iced tea and probably a bag of pretzels. You were 36 years with Dow. I know that it sent you around the world. And so I'm sure you have plenty of stories and yeah. um, experiences from all sorts of continents. And I believe you've been to every continent except Antarctica. Is that correct? I have. I have been to every mm-hmm. continent except uh, Antarctica. Yeah. That is very cool. So if you could only live in one country that you don't live in today, so you can't pick the United States. Yeah. And you know what? I'm going to rule out Canada because you've also lived in Canada. So you can't live in the U.S. You can't live in Canada. What country would you live in? I, you know what? I would probably uh, pick uh, Germany. And I say that because uh, if, of, of all the places that I've traveled to, I've spent the most time in, uh, in Germany. So maybe I feel, I feel comfortable uh, there. But in, in particular, I, uh, I'm in, in what's called the Alsatian region, which is right in that area where France and Germany uh, come together. And in fact, over the years, um, that, that area, that Alsatian area, sometimes it's been, you know, German, sometimes it's been, been French, and now it's kind of divided. And, and, uh, and if you look at the people in that area, most of them spoke, speak both French and, and German. It's a, and it's a beautiful area. It's got, it's a, a white wine, you know, making uh, area, Baden-Baden, which is a real big like expensive tourist spot is in there. It's just a really pretty uh, area as well. So yeah, that's where. What's the food like there? The food, oh my God, the the food there is fantastic because it has both German and French uh, influences uh, in it. And and I actually fell in love with the with Spetzel with kind of like a brown sauce that's just fantastic. Yeah. Well, very good. Well, that's a little get to know you section and. And I have to ask, so you, I I know that you knew my dad back in the high school days, which obviously led to meeting his sister, your now wife. I I believe that that my dad lent you his bike so that you could ride around town and come to see him, which actually really ended up him having to watch you 
court his sister. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He uh, he had a ten speed bike, and at that time, uh, I did not. I lived about um, I think it was about seven seven to ten miles from my house to uh, to his his house, and there was probably about a year there where it, it was actually my bike. It wasn't it wasn't his bike, but it was. I mean, it was his bike, but I had it all the time. You know, yeah. So you're doing a 15 to 20 mile round trip every time oh, you yeah. want to go see well, him? Well, hey, I've been married to the to this wonderful gal for uh, uh, 42 years now. So, uh, you know, I, I think it was worth it. Hey, quite the sacrifice. But yeah, obviously, obviously worth it. And it and it got you two wonderful children, Laura oh, and Amanda, who have been yes. very close, who we've been very close with, obviously, throughout the years. Unbeknownst to you, I reached out to your daughters about this podcast. Uh, okay. And I asked them for a story. And right. well, one of them gave a wonderful story that I have to hear about, about you stealing Amanda's Halloween candy when she was about seven or eight years old. I did. And a, some level of destruction happening in the kitchen. Oh, <laughs> did Amanda say that one? <laughs> no, Laura that, gave me that I one. I think that Laura might have said that. <laughs> Oh, that's that's hilarious. Well, what what happened? What happened there? I was playing a joke on uh, on Amanda. She was probably in the eight to nine range. Amanda was probably in the eight to nine range when this when this happened. I had um, taken some of. Um, I was playing a joke on her. This was after dinner, so there was they were having their dessert, and the dessert you know happened to be this this uh, this Halloween candy. And, uh, and and Amanda was being pretty protective of her Halloween candy, so I uh, I, had, I was playing a joke, and I and I took a piece of it, you know, and I opened it up, and and I uh, actually I didn't eat it. I pretended like I like like I ate it, and she thought I did, and she got she got mad, and she charged at me, okay, and just out of instinct, I it wasn't I, as I remember it wasn't even planned. It was just out of instinct. I kind of like, whoa, she's charging at me. And I stepped to the side and she stumbled right into one of the lower cabinets and she broke it. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of felt bad actually that I sidestepped her, but I'm like, whoa. But she wasn't hurt. Uh, so it turned out to be funny afterwards. And yeah, that's that was that story. That's hilarious. I had yes. not heard that one before. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing. And thank you to Laura for, for pro- you know, providing it, that tidbit. That sounds like something that Laura would, would actually, I don't think Amanda <laughs> would have brought that one up. Uh, but, 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 you know, they're, they're, they, uh, both of these, both of my girls are wonderfully dedicated and, and I'm very, very, very proud of them as the adults that they've, they've come to be, but they are so different. I could never see Amanda actually bringing that story up. Even if, <laughs> even if it was about Laura, I don't think she would have brought it up. So Rick Smith and Wesson, could you tell yeah. us a little bit about your experience there? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I graduated with a, with a, a botany degree. Okay. Uh, Mary, my wife, my wife, Mary and I really, we, we got engaged the summer um, after I, uh, I graduated. Right. And we had planned, I had planned that, uh, uh, well, I'll, I'll step back a little bit even. In my senior year as a, as a botanist, I was, uh, I was in a, um, a professor's lab, and, and my botany was more cell genetics versus horticulture, right? So I, uh, I was in a lab, and I was counting pollen grains uh, in, uh, under our microscope so we could tell what sort of genome it was, right, that sort of thing. And I'm like, God, I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. Uh, so it was either to go get a PhD and become a professor in, in, uh, in botany um, or else go back to school. So we, I decided to go back to school. And then I tried to get a job for, for one year as a, uh, as a botanist. Okay? What became clear to me is that I could make more money doing piecework because uh, that was my whole objective. The objective wasn't to make a career. The objective there was to make money. So and 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 Mary and I both lived at home, uh, so that uh, I could then we could then afford to go you know save money to go back to uh, to school to pay tuition and uh, and the like while Mary worked, uh, and yeah it became clear I could make more money at, at Smith and Wesson doing uh, doing piecework. So I spent a a year uh, mostly uh, doing milling machine type activities on on what's the slide for uh, for nine millimeter semi automatic pistols. As well as the um, the barrel uh, of uh, of that pistol, yeah. Fascinating. I had no yeah. idea that you worked on guns. Yeah, yeah. Second shift too. I was work- I was second shift the whole uh, that that whole year from 
from uh, 3 p.m. to uh, 11 p.m., which for uh, you know for me at that point in time was pretty was pretty ideal. Yeah, I had to walk through a metal detector coming in and going and going out to make sure that uh, you didn't bring anything in you weren't supposed to, or, and then you didn't bring out any pieces of, of a handgun that uh, that you weren't supposed to. Well, that they didn't bring them out. Period. Let me put it that way. Yeah. Well, there you go. There yep. you go. Well, an interesting start to your career because you got your botany degree, you got a chemical engineering degree, you worked on guns, and then you start working for a massive, uh, you know, chemical engineering company uh, in Dow and spent 36 years there, all in operations, as you said. I want to get into, you know, get kind of your journey throughout Dow. I know sure. you've been a leader at, you were a leader at Dow for a long time and have a lot of wonderful leadership techniques that you've mentored me and other people on. And I would love to get into some of the concepts that you believe really helped you in your career and helped others in their career. Before we get into that, I want to ask you two questions to kind of set the foundation of some things around growth. First, I'd love to ask, there's a concept called growth mindset and everyone has a different definition of what a growth mindset is. So I'd be curious, Rick, how would you define what a growth mindset is? Um, well, I mean, that's, that's an interesting, it is an interesting question. Let me, let me try, let me try and answer that in a manufacturing sort of, sort of way. Okay. Or through my experiences, if, if, uh, if you would, because, um, I told you that I, I was in, you know, three different technologies, uh, four different plants, two different countries, if, if you would. Okay. Three of the four facilities that I ran are no longer running and the other one that is still running is no longer owned by Dow. And why is that? Okay. The, the reason uh, for that, I think does have some growth mindset, uh, if, if you would. And it used to make me feel sad <laughs> that, that every facility that I left eventually, uh, shut down. But, uh, but then, um, you know, Dow chemical has continued to, uh, to, to grow. So, um, you know, I think part of being having a growth mindset is uh, not to be afraid of change, and not to hold on to the, the the past so much if if it no longer is achieving what's uh, what's necessary. Okay, and I'll, I'll I'll give you a link to one one of the businesses that I um, and technologies. That, that I ran was um, Styrofoam Insulation Board, okay? And Dow actually invented Styrofoam Insulation Board. So when you hear, when you hear uh, people talk about, you know, Styrofoam cups and whatnot, um, I, I, if, I'm, if I guess I'm feeling in an evil mood or whatever, if you would, I will say, well, well, that's not a Styrofoam cup. It's a polystyrene molded foam cup because Styrofoam is a trade name uh, registered trade name for Dow's insulation board, and only somebody from Dow who's 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 been in a styrofoam plant would actually say that. But um, and feeling and and someone who's feeling a little bit confrontational. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. But okay, Dow invented styrofoam uh, some sixty years uh, ago, and uh, and when Dow invented styrofoam, it was a breakthrough product at at the time. You could. You know, you could use this lightweight board that could go on to uh, uh, to houses. Uh, you could actually make it higher density, and it could go underneath roads to insulate from you know from cracking in the road, or it could go on roofs, flat top roofs. But over the years, um, it's it's actually moved from a very specialized product, okay, to one now that is very very me too, okay. Uh, it's it's some of this me too type stuff that. That uh, Dow, uh, you know, actually is no longer was even um, interested in staying in that business because it no longer had the margins anymore that it had when it it was first developed. Okay, so sometimes to have a growth mindset, you got to let go of things. Yeah, it's a really unique way of looking at it, Rick. So yeah, not being afraid of change, especially if it's no longer helping you achieve. The goals that you have as an organization, as a person, and not hanging on to the past if it's not doing you any good in the present or in your future. Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at a growth mindset because it also brings in the concept of elimination or distraction because you could have continued and tried to build this out, spend more money, 
But then you have all these people, yourself included, who are who can be allocated elsewhere. Resources, right. attention can be allocated elsewhere within the company that maybe has a higher margin or more growth potential. And by trying to hang on to something that maybe isn't profitable or could take significant investment and be an opportunity cost for the future, uh, that's, yeah, I mean, that's a big decision for a company to make. Yeah, that's a big deal. And I really like that you've tied that into growth mindset because many people think about growth as increasing things and literally growing. But what you're talking about is in order to grow, you kind of have to remove things and yeah. in order for you to grow elsewhere. Well, um, in 2000, I was on a, on a growth mindset and, and trying to, uh, to build its, its uh, portfolio. And we actually bought uh, Roman Haas. And part of the reason why we bought Roman Haas is they had that critical mass, right? Do you remember 2008? You remember what happened in, uh, in 2008? Yeah, the recession. Yes, yes. I mean, the market went crazy with, uh, with the whole housing bubble. And, and here we were trying to buy uh, Roman Haas, but at the same time, we were doing a joint uh, venture with, uh, with the Kuwaitis in the polyethylene, uh, the whole polyethylene train. And when that, uh, when that whole market dropped, the Kuwaitis pulled out deal that, that we had. And, uh, and by them pulling out, we lost the money that we were going to get from the Kuwaitis, because both of these, these deals were tied together. We'd already committed to buy uh, Roman Haas, uh, and we had uh, the, the joint venture with the, the, with the Kuwaitis. The money from the joint venture with the Kuwaitis was going to pay for buying, uh, buying Roman Haas. And yeah, when they so they were out, relying on one another. Oh, when they, when they pulled out, we were in a real bind, okay? So here's Dow trying to have a growth mindset. How do I get that, uh, that money? And one, one of the ways they, uh, that the, they got those dollars was to sell Dow's um, emulsion polymers uh, business because it, it um, because it was at that time they were in a bind. You know, it was one of the businesses that could be cleaved off and sold. So I was actually sad to see that happen, but yeah, it made sense at the time. Yeah, well, very very interesting way to look at a growth mindset. So thank you for sharing the thoughts there. And the other foundational piece that I'd love to get into with you to to set the tone here as we get into more of your career and how you've led people and led, led large organizations is your purpose. And I'm sure that that purpose has shifted over the last couple of years, especially with retirement, but how would you define your purpose or your why in life? Yeah. You know, um, if I, if I look at it from a, from a family, uh, standpoint, I always wanted my child, my children to uh, to have a childhood that they could look back on fondly, and to, for them to know that I love them. You know, your I think your purpose, your pur- our, our purposes, kind of come from foundations from where we came, where we came from. Okay, uh, I, you know, my my childhood growing up was kind of kind of crazy actually, and uh, and the bike that your dad uh, let me borrow would let me get out of some of the craziness at my house and come on over to a much more sane uh, uh, area at Springfield, Massachusetts, where they, uh, you know, where, where, where they lived. Uh, so for, for me, I mean, that was a big deal. And it was actually also a big deal as to why. And I, and I feel, um, I feel really blessed with, um, with my, uh, my in-laws, particularly, I, I'm, you know, I'm particularly going to say my mother-in-law because I, because I really think it was her and, and her sister who uh, who planned these you know summer vacations Kiowa and um, and it was really important for me you know as part of what I wanted to do is to make sure that my kids knew their grandparents and that my kids you know knew their their aunts and uncles and and, and cousins and, and that was a that was a great uh, environment to, you know just a great organic way to uh, to, to do that well, I, I certainly look back on those memories fondly, right? I was a kid in those, as you all started to think about bringing the entire family in. And so to accomplish your purpose or your why from a family standpoint of having your children look back on their childhood fondly, I certainly think that that was a, a big variable in that because we're all still close to this day, even though we're all 
older and grown yep. and yep. some of us has kids and married and spread out. We all still connect. Yeah. And, and a yeah. lot of that foundation was set because of that purpose, purpose driven decision to bring everyone together on a consistent basis. Yeah. And if, you know, if I look at it from a, uh, from a professional standpoint, it obviously, uh, evolves if you would, but, I, but I gotta say that, you know, the first, um, I got hired into Dow in 1982, and uh, and and I spent my first seven years in, in a styrene butadiene uh, uh, plant, okay, making emulsions, you know, for for the paper industry. And when I first got there, you know, I was just this, just you know, this brand new, wet behind the ears uh, chemical engineer. There, the guy in that that was leading that plant, we called them superintendents at the time, okay. And uh, small site, 150 people when I got there. Three technologies. Styrofoam, um, styrene butadiene emulsions, and polystyrene, okay? All styrene-based, uh, actually. But that job as superintendent, you know, which, which you can think of as captain of this little ship, man, I remember from, from my first weeks, like, wow, that is a fantastic job. I want that job, you know? And 10 years later, I had one of those jobs, right, uh, of leading, these, uh, leading these, these, uh, these organizations. But over, the, over time... For me, kind of where it where it evolved uh, to was uh, servant uh, leadership. Okay, because I've had a number of times uh, in in leading an organization where I've sat down, uh, particularly when I'm talking about specific people, right? And on the one hand, you know, I should do this to the, for this for this person because they because kind of you, you you get the leadership you deserve sometimes, right? Uh, but I go, okay, Rick, this is not about you. What's, what's the best thing for the organization? You know, so how, what's the best way that I can serve this, this organization and therefore use that kind of as the compass of, all right, so what should I go do? I really, really like the concept of servant leadership. I personally did not know what that was until I joined Tech Data, and I was lucky enough to sit down with our CEO at tech data and in my interview process. And he, in previous interviews, I should say multiple of the executives and senior executives within the company had been talking about how tech data was so, so into servant leadership. And, you know, I was like, okay, is this slideware? Is this just, you know, you guys talking or is this real? And then when I sat down with our CEO, Rich Hume, and he got out, he stood up halfway through our interview and walked over to his bookshelf and grabbed the servant which is a book about servant leadership and gave it to me and said, read it. And I said, one, that's probably the best sales pitch, you know, salesman move that I've ever seen (laughs) is going to pick that up. How many times have you pulled that move (laughs) to go pick it up from your bookshelf? But I still have the book that he handed to me. Um, I'm actually staring at it right now and it's a great reminder, but it, it's been really cool to see what servant leadership is. And for those that don't know what that is, I'd be curious before I give my definition, Rick, I'd be curious, what is your definition of servant leadership? Yeah, well, I, I, for me, I kind of said it a little bit, okay, and it, it is that um, it's it's really not about you as an individual. You, I mean, you, you've, I, I had a wonderful career with uh, with Dallin and very, very, uh, you know, successful um, by any by any measure, uh, if uh, if you would, and and you know, I, I could even say, man, I plateaued, I plateaued, you know, maybe I maybe I could have got one or two more levels, right? But uh, in, in the end, it's it's really not about uh, you. Oh, you kind of got to let your ego a, a, a bit uh, aside because you don't you don't get to these positions, you know, without having some sort of ego. But I think the 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 best leaders are ones that that recognize that you are there uh, for the organization. And um, at the, my very first um, uh, facility where I was a, uh, where I was a leader, I, I, I ran this, this, uh, styrofoam plant. And, and when I left, so this is, this is in, let's see, when I left that plant, um, it was 1994. So quite a while uh, ago. And I remember, uh, to this day, I'm not going to say his, his, uh, his name, but one of the operators, uh, in the plant, uh, came up to me and he said, Rick, you know what I always appreciated about you is that you always tried to do the best thing for us while trying to do the best thing for the business at the same time. 
Now there's conflicts there. That's all. They, you know, they don't always. They aren't always alignment. To me, that's really his servant leadership, where you're trying to do the best thing for your people, and you're trying to do the best thing for the organization. They go hand in hand. Yeah, and servant leadership is contrasting, completely contrasting to a command and control type leadership. Absolutely, where it's very directive. Hey, you. You know, I'm your leader. I need you to go to do these three things. Go do them and report back to me when you're done. And then I'm going yeah. to give you new tasks, basically. Yeah, yeah. I, I you know, um, I, I think you're right. It directly does contrast uh, uh, that. I will say that particularly from from my from my experience, right? My experience in a manufacturing uh, organization. One of the things that leaders need to be successful is to understand how to change leadership styles, and uh, and sometimes you need different leadership styles for an organization to be successful in the short term. So I've, I've, so I've seen situations, particularly in, uh, in a manufacturing facility that is, that is struggling and in a facility that's you know, handling dangerous chemicals where for a short period of time, and sometimes that short period of time is maybe a couple of years, you need a command and control environment in order to you know, safely run the facility while you are building competency in individuals, while you while you are building organizational systems, if you would, uh, but there then comes a time when that organization no longer needs that command and control. So either you got to take a command and control leader out of there, or the leader's got to be able to again. It's not about you. You be the leader's got to be able to change the style over time as the organization comes. You know, kind of from forming and and uh, and norming to where it's really storming that is a really good point because you've yeah you've grown up in a manufacturing this is where you and i have different career paths because i've been up in the sales technology piece of this and you're in the manufacturing the manufacturing obviously relies on very succinct timetables on very succinct um you know safety measures so that command and control aspect is a little is is certainly different because you do need to do things in a certain time when you need to. So the the servant leadership stuff is is really good and having a leader that can be adaptable. I mean, I've even seen that in my career and something I'm still working on in kind of my leadership growth is I think I skew almost too much on the servant leadership side where sometimes if someone's new to the organization and I you know, servant leadership to me is providing a lot of providing a lot of support but also providing a lot of autonomy to allow for ideas to flourish, to go try things, to go, you know, try things to be, you know, to be different, to, to grow the company, to grow themselves as a leader. And then they come to me if they need something. And I, you know, it's my job to remove barriers and to make them as successful as possible in what they, in what they want to accomplish. But sometimes when someone's new to the organization and I give that level of autonomy, they yeah. are sitting on the other side thinking, well, I don't know what to do. <laughs> right. I don't even right. know where to start. And so yeah, I, I've had to, I, I've, I've had to learn that over time and thankfully have received a lot of feedback from people that, you know, especially new to the, to an organization that, Hey, you know, you can skew a little bit on command and control or at least directive and then start to, you know, over time, you know, become more of a servant leader. But I think at the beginning of that relationship be a little bit more directive and give a little less autonomy. Sure. Well, I mean, part of serving, right, is to give what uh, not only an organization needs, but what individuals need, because different individuals need different uh, different things, right? Even people that are very, very capable and good, you know, some, some folks need time with their leader and time to bounce things off of, off of you know, their, their, their leader so that... Um, you know, they feel comfortable with it. Absolutely. That's 100% correct. And I know that you have a passion around developing people through their career. I'm curious, where do you think the desire to develop others, where do you think that came from? Where do I think that came from? You know, to, to, uh, to be honest, I kind of, I kind of, uh, got volunteered into it to start with and then and then said this is pretty cool and I like it. Yeah. Yeah, from a human resources uh, standpoint, you know, at that, at that so this was this was back this was when I was in Canada. Human resources started putting out an effort in and around uh, employee development. 
and when you think about employee development in a manufacturing organization like like Dow, you know there are there are you know non-degreed people maybe uh, that are running plants. There are some you know technical uh, uh, folks that don't have chemical engineering degrees that are supporting some of those plants. You have a bunch of people with chemical engineering degrees. You got a bunch of people with business degrees. You know, so there's various levels of of, of employee development. So they wanted to you know teach people about employee development and teach people how to to start owning your own uh, career and then owning your own uh, development no matter what it is no matter what it, what it meant for you so I was asked to actually be a uh, you know a teacher for employee development and ended up on uh, on the plant site that I was on you know did some work with with the operating crews in and around teaching them some of the foundations about what do you need to know about personal development and some of the um, the staff uh, folks as well and like I said I kind of you know it was it was new uh, to uh, to me and um, and it actually reinforced maybe some things that I that I felt all along and therefore I, I said you know what I'm gonna stick with this and which then led to um, years later you know teaching leaders uh, how to be servant leaders so I kept that uh, I kept that as, as a side job within Dow for probably my last 20-ish years. And what did that entail? What it, Well, okay. Um, uh, what that entailed was periodic, um, you know, sessions around around teaching employee development, okay, and teaching people to understand, you know, what motivates them. Now, is this where the concept of leading from the core came from? I know you've talked yeah, to me yeah. about that before. Well, the concept of leading from the core, you know, came in with uh, with teaching leaders, Dow had um, and um, really before the pandemic, the, the, these were great sessions um, uh, uh, called "Inspire to Serve." Okay, and uh, and in that "Inspire to Serve" is a uh, is a number of uh, of modules kind of building uh, on how to be a, a a a servant leader, and and one of them is uh, is leading from the uh, from the core, and actually that one rang true. Uh, with uh, with me, because if I actually thought about it, and I go back, and if you go back to this to this command and control, uh, even in my first job before I knew anything about servant leadership, before my first leadership job in that styrofoam plant, um, I was never a, a command and control uh, leader. That just was not that just was not me. Uh, but uh, and I I really uh, never kind of articulated that in my mind. Uh, until um, I, I started doing, you know, employee development stuff, and then started getting into some of this leadership development and leading from from your core, and and in my core, that's just not the person that I am. So although I could be command and control, I couldn't real. I probably couldn't sustain um, command and control. Leading from your core is what your gut's telling you of how you should be leading, or how yeah, you feel like you yeah. should be leading. Yeah, and it, well, yes, yes, okay, but that also comes a little bit of of uh, of who who you are, and 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 honestly, Clay, I personally think it gets into some of the some of the uh, unconscious bias uh, stuff because, I, like I said, you know, my house growing up as a kid was crazy, and um, you know, I don't, I don't mind telling you, my my mom was an alcoholic, right? So she was. Uh, you know, so by the time I was 14, I was pretty much growing up my, taking care of my, I had a, I had a roof over my head, but I was on my own. So for me, my, my core was, okay, I can do this myself. I can take care of myself. I can, I, you know, I know what I need to, uh, I know what I need to go do. And I don't know, in my, in my head, it was it's kind of like the that's kind of like the opposite of command and control. You know, I wasn't in control; it was chaos. I was managing chaos, and and yeah, I don't know. I guess I'll stop there. <laughs> I don't know. I don't yeah, know I, I really, I really like that concept. I appreciate you sharing that about how you know, difficult it, I'm sure it was to grow up in that environment and. I'm grateful to hear that my dad lent you his bike, given that was what was going on at home. <laughs> well, and, uh, let me let me jump in for a second there. And in, yeah. in this whole one of this whole things in in this is inspired to serve. Okay, is uh, and and trying to get people to understand about about what's their core and how do you lead from your core. And the reason why I say that, okay, is 
because that's where you're going to be best. All right. I'll give you the example of of, of, of Shaquille O'Neal. Right. How do, how does Shaquille O'Neal uh, win? It's not through you know free throws and three point shooting. I mean, he's this big hulking guy that gets the ball in the paint and put and, and put it you know in uh, uh, in the basket. You know, you don't try and make a three point shooter out of him. That's not where his core is from. And the same thing with leadership is is where's your foundation. And, and you are going to excel the best at where your foundation uh, is. So we um, encouraged people in, in this Inspire to Serve to be vulnerable, uh, to truly think and, 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 and to try and open it up with them when I was teaching some of this is to tell people stories like that. To say, and, and I even had one, one guy in the room one time, he go, after I told that, that kind of story, and we got into a deeper that we don't need to get into here, he goes, oh, if you're going to say that then... <laughs> and that got him to open up, you know. So it sounds like being vulnerable in that context, being vulnerable, then you can kind of almost unearth your core and what right. your core is, which then can help you define what your leadership style probably should be so that you can operate the most effectively and serve those who you're leading the most effectively. You got it. You got it. Conceptually, it's pretty straightforward. But when you're dealing with people, the whole thing is pretty muddy. Yeah, that's fascinating because, yeah, conceptually, like you said, it's pretty obvious. Yeah, conceptually, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, but what I find very, is dealing with people makes it makes it a big mess. Yeah, yeah, it certainly does, and and it's hard for people to be vulnerable. That's a really hard thing, especially in a yep. work context. Yes, in a work context is extremely it's yes. extremely difficult. So it seems like that in in that you you've actually talked about your some basically been vulnerable yourself so that it opened up others to be vulnerable with you correct and he, and even in those in in that type of an environment right when you're trying to teach leaders that is uh and again to be a servant leader you're being, now you're serving these folks right is is make sure that uh and, and we, we do these in small groups like like four of us right um uh, one person is a facilitator with the other other three i think that's about the right number is make sure people get the microphone, and make sure that you, as the as the the person who's trying to be the leader and the servant, or really facilitator, and the servant in that room, that you don't hold the microphone too much. You know. So, what's your advice? I'm, I, this is a big question because you you guys had a specific program. It seems like a DAO that you yep. help lead. What yep. is your advice to companies, or you can pin it to individuals of how to go start this? Because I think I think this is a really important concept. So how, how does a company or an individual, maybe a new leader, get started with figuring out what their core is? Well, you know what? I think podcasts like this is a great thing. Talking to other leaders is a great thing. Reading books. Although, I, you know, I think it needs to be all of that. But I will say, you know, through some of my efforts in and around employee development, about 70% of the learning that you need to, you know, do is, is on the job. Okay is actively working at it. And, and there's where I do think building a network of folks is is important. And even a network of folks that don't think like you, that might have a different core than, uh, than you. Because if you go start talking to people that think exactly like you do, then you're going to get more answers to thinking exactly like you do. And, 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 it, and it won't make you think about how something could be different. And I will say, here's here's one thing for me actually that I look at my career in uh, in Dow that I wish I was better at, and and there's there's really two reasons for that. I, so one of it is is part kind of my core, okay, uh, and the other is kind of where I started out. Let me give you some details here. You know, like I said, my house was was chaotic, and from the age of about fourteen, I was raising myself. So for me, I developed this very, which I didn't learn until years, years later, unconscious bias, because I didn't even know the concept of unconscious bias then, that I can do it all myself. You know, like I, I'm going to, I'm going to college. I'm going to graduate, you know, with honors in high school and I'm going to college and I'm getting, you know, I'm, I'm going to drive where I want to go. And then I went to work in a, uh, in a small site of only 150 people where everybody knows everybody. So a skill in all of that on the small site that I didn't need to develop because everybody knows everybody. And because of the bias I had in my brain is I don't need any help. All right. Uh, and if I need your help, I'll, I'll come and ask, come ask you. I was not very good 
at developing the skill of networking. Okay. And, and as a matter of fact, I used to think that network networking was just going and, you know, being a brown noser, right? But in truth, networking with a purpose um, really allows you to, to build your skills, but also to build the organization skills. Does that make sense? It does make sense. So unconscious bias, sounds obvious, yep. but I'll define it, is a bias that you don't realize you have. Yep. Un- unearthing what that actually, what, what that bias is so that then you are, it, it becomes a conscious bias. Is that the goal? Yeah. You know what? Um, uh, I like unconscious bias because we all have it. And I think there's really, I mean, we could, we could spend hours on, on unconscious bias, but I think that there's really two things uh, with it. Some of it is actually, I believe is actually genetic. So it's nature versus num- nurture. Some of it is genetic, uh, and and some of it then is just learned uh, behavior. And it, and it frankly, I'm going to throw chemical engineering in here. Uh, it's all about saving energy. It's all about using the lowest amount of energy. Uh, so I don't have to think about something. All right, I have developed this bias in my head that if I do if I do X Y Z, then then you know A B C is going to happen. So um, I don't I don't have to spend any energy thinking about something. I've got this bias that says I'm going to go, um, uh, you know, I, I love baseball. All right. So I've got this bias that I'm going to go, I'm going to go to a baseball game. Right. And, and I, and I don't even have to think about it. Yeah. Good. I'm going to do it. What's another example of unconscious bias? Here's an example in, in a union uh, organization. Okay. I, when I went, when I moved to Canada, that was the first facility that I operated that was a union. The small site in Connecticut with 150 people was was uh, what Dow called salary operations. It was not, it was it was not unionized. Okay, and um, and that's the first time that I ran into um, individuals. Not not everybody was like this, but uh, but I actually had one guy um, that I spent about an hour, two maybe two hours in the control room one day trying to get into his 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 head and the way he thought, and in the end. Here's the thing uh, that stopped me from like, okay, I can stop talking here with him. Is he said, Rick, you don't get it. You don't get it. You're always going to be management and I'm always going to be the union. Okay. I'm never going to go to your house. Okay. Uh, and I'm never going to associate with you outside of work. But if you want to sign this union card, you and I can go have a, a, a beer. All right. So the bias in his brain was that management is is not trustworthy and therefore um, no matter what no matter who you are and i was a new guy on the planet this time all right i'm not going to trust you so for anyone out there like leaders or, or you know folks in organizations i mean or really anyone i mean i feel like this can apply across any any part of life what do you advise for people to be aware of or to uncover the, uncover their unconscious bias i mean what where would you where would you lead someone in a conversation around this? There is a professor at Harvard University that works in this space, Banaji, B-A-N-A-J-I, uh, that I saw one time. And I like what she says. As she says that people should recognize that because of your history, right, the way, because of the way you grew up and because of the things that you've, you've, you've done, uh, and you've been exposed to, you're going to have biases uh, about, you know, about certain things. And and what really is important is recognizing uh, that. Okay. Uh, and so understand that you might have a bias uh, about something, but always try to act with intent. Does that make sense? It does. I think this is a really really interesting concept. I can tell you're passionate about it and it's obviously had an impact on you. And now I can tell that it, when you're having conversations with other people that you can almost pick up on their biases, you know, to your point of union conversation. And now that you're aware, so it's, it, it seems like that maybe as I'm talking this out, that the first step is really just being aware that we all have this bias, that we all have this unconscious bias of some kind or multiple unconscious biases and then being aware of that and being aware that everyone around us has something like that 
then turning that awareness into actually some sort of action or into, into some sort of, you know, maybe conversation to look into each one another's bias based on, you know, the way you were brought up nature versus nurture, as you said earlier. Yeah. And if we get people to understand that, uh, then, uh, and, and acting with intent, right? Because sometimes you'll do something, you know, because of a bias, right? Uh, that you didn't really even think about, okay? And if you had thought about it, you might have done something different. In the original story that you said about you know working with 150 people, you had the unconscious bias of being able to you know, feel like you can do something on your own. Therefore, you then didn't network, which can then you know impact your career movement or job prospects in the future. Right. At what point did you realize this? I didn't realize it until I um, I moved from Canada in uh, in 1999 to uh, to Dow's Michigan operations, you know, um, in Midland, Michigan. That's Dow. This is you know this area where I now live is Dow's corporate headquarters. Okay, so so now you know move on to a uh, uh, an area that's got some uh, 3,000 Dow employees uh, at it. Okay. Uh, so to really be successful on you know large sites in in areas where there's a large you know large amounts of a, of an organization, then even the, to take that and and uh, say around the globe, right, with fifty thousand people around the, uh, the 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 globe, you really need to learn how to be better at networking, and uh, and I realized it really kind of after I struggled a little bit on uh, on the large site. That uh, that I realized, hmm, you know what? I'm not real good at that. I got to get better at it. Well, and I know you got better at it because your daughter, Amanda, in my conversation with her before this podcast, you know, I asked her about anything that I should know. And she said she works at Dow and continues yep. to work at Dow. And she said that when she made her move to Philly, yep. that... She, you know, was obviously a little bit nervous. You know, she was moving from Michigan where she was home for her for a long time, knew a lot of people and was moving to a new place and people would see her, her last name Lombardi on, on her little nameplate. And she said, so many people would stop and say, wait, are you related to Rick Lombardi? And she would of course say yes. And they would get into conversations. It would like basically jumpstart her network. It seemed and yeah. that stuff wouldn't happen. I mean, you look, you're at a company for 36 years. Of course, you're going to get to know people. But for them to go recognize a name, have a very positive uh, mindset about the name, you know, a positive reaction to the name, and then to help build, you know, your own daughter's network, I would imagine, and 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 help her get inundated into her new, her new, her new working environment, all that really came from you recognizing your unconscious bias and realizing that, Hey, you need to make a change. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice of you to say, but, but Amanda is pretty good on her own. Oh, I, I know <laughs> she is, but I, that certainly helped. Yeah. But you know what I, what, what, what then helped me because I wasn't very, very, um, uh, naturally good. I hadn't naturally developed that, that skill when I was younger is, um, is I just would, uh, have to pull up, uh, an Excel spreadsheet. You know, and I would uh, I would write down the names of, of people that I knew that I needed to uh, connect uh, with. Okay, and um, and then I then I just get, go like red, yellow, green, and and I'd ask about the relationship. How's the relationships with that with that person? Is it is it good? Is it or is it not good? And even in that, I would I would say, okay, maybe it's not that good. All right, but for this person. It's good enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, what's the relationship with them, and what do I need from them, and what do they need from uh, from from me? And for folks where I actually consciously said I have to develop uh, a network with them, I did that. I mean, there's a whole lot of other people where you're just developing networks because you're working with them. Okay, but there were some areas where I she said, you know what, I uh, I ne- actually need to be active. About yeah, you had this. to be very intentional about this. Yes, yes, intentional is the better word. And so you had to be intentional because you knew you wanted you and your team to be successful, but you also had to be intentional because you recognized that you had this bias that you, right, like this unconscious bias. So yeah. it 
it was a very unnatural thing. Yeah, for it you didn't to come easy for me. It didn't come easy for me, so I actually had to be in- intentional for it. Yeah. Do you feel like that that applies whatever someone's bias is? I'm kind of learning unconscious bias as we go here. Whatever someone's unconscious bias is, once they understand and accept that they have this bias, is it a normal thing to then have to be intentional about changing it if they, if they feel like that it would be beneficial for them to change? Right, if you them? want to, if you want to. I mean, a lot of people have biases, okay, that, that, uh, that may be unconscious, all right? Uh, but that's who they are, and 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 they don't see uh, that they should change uh, that. And in some cases, maybe it's 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 okay, all right. But it's probably okay because it's within your group, right? When you start to get when 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 you you start to get diverse groups, right? You're gonna have you're gonna have all kinds of different unconscious biases in those diverse groups. And when they come together, if you really want your organization to work well, right, you got to recognize that when people do diverse groups come together, they're going to have different biases from how they were brought up. Okay. And if they're going to work together, they need to understand and respect, you know, some of those differences. Yeah. And I don't know if this is part of this. Well, so, well, two things. I have a lot of thoughts on this. As you said, we could probably talk about this for hours. I think this, this comes back a little bit to what how you defined your growth mindset and your why, because you, you talked about your growth mindset as, or what a growth mindset is, is to not be afraid of change if it's no longer achieving your goals. And so it seemed like that when you move from Canada to Midland, that you recognize in order for you to be successful and also to probably serve your work purpose or your work why of you know be, being a, a positive servant leader for the organization, that you needed to be better at networking, that you needed to, to be able to network in the organization and in order for you to change and, and grow yourself, that you had to be very intentional about creating this Excel document. And, yeah, yeah. You, you, yeah. Know, you had to for be me, very, it, very intentional. For me, though, it took, it took um, missing out on a couple of job roles that I didn't get considered uh, for and, was, and then started to get frustrated and, and actually talked to a mentor. All right. And with that person realized, yeah, you know what, I need to get better at, at uh, uh, a perception that some folks, you know, have of Rick um, is not really who I think I am or who I want them to think I am. And therefore, I could either I could either go, you know, woe is me, you know, they're bad people or I could go, OK, what am I going to do about that? You could reach back into fixed versus a growth mindset. A fixed mindset would have said, I am who I am. I can't change who I am, uh, you know, and right. this is, if, if people can't recognize that, then then, you know, that's their problem and <laughs> I'm not going to change. Or you can have a growth mindset about it and say, all right, I recognize I have this unconscious bias. I recognize I probably need to do a better job of, you know, showcasing my work, connecting with others, helping others, even though you probably feel like you were doing all those things, but you maybe need to do them in a different way because of right. your bias. Right. That's really cool. I'm glad, so glad you brought up this concept. And again, I can tell that you're very passionate about it. And I'm sure that you have Clay, I could, unearthed this I could, talk, this to, to, I could talk to you about it all in the, in the, in the personal safety uh, environment as well. And that gets into genetics, but, we don't, but, but that's a whole nother, t- that's a whole nother <laughs> time. We can save that for podcast number two. Yeah. Well, what other... So we talked about servant leadership. We've talked about leading from the core. We've talked about unconscious bias. What other leadership or concepts or fundamentals that you're passionate about that you feel like you want to share? For me, a, a big, big lesson that I, that I learned, you know, through my career is message and, uh, and messenger. And sometimes in order to get the message across, you really need to have the right messenger. I'll give you an example that goes back to the, the, to Canada and to that plant that we then sold. When we sold that plant, uh, it was a unionized plant. Uh, and um, and the operators then the union they didn't want to go uh, to uh, Union Carbide actually is the one that we who, who we sold it uh, uh, to and what happened there right is Dow has a contract manufacturing uh, organization and the business uh, the business leader you know came onto the site and said don't no don't worry about it uh, you're going to stay working for Dow but Union Carbide is going to own uh, the asset Union Carbide is going to own the inventory Union Carbide is going to own the business. And you'll just come instead of working for, 
you know, for this emulsion polymers business, you're going to come to work for contract manufacturing and uh, still work for Dow, and we will charge Union Carbide for, um, you know, for your services, okay? And like, great, wonderful, everybody was happy with that. So after about a year of uh, negotiations, you know, this contract manufacturing business, well, they're, they're, it's got business on the end there, right? They want to make money. What Union Carbide then said, you know, time out, you know, I'm, I'm not paying you that much to, uh, you know, I got operators who are in my plants, and I know what I pay them, and I'm not paying you, you know, that uh, amount. Uh, so um, I'll have my own operators come and, and, uh, and run the plant. So all you guys are going to, all these guys are going to, you know, come over to work for Union Carbide instead of Dow. So a year later, okay, the, you know, the business, the business guy, you know, uh, he's, and, and I'm involved in some of these negotiations, so I, so I know what's, uh, what's happening. But in the end, we, we were going to have to go back to the operators and say, you know, we tried, um, you're not, uh, you're not going to work for Dow, you're going to go work for uh, Union Carbide. And the business guy said that he he would come back to the site because he was uh, he was down in Houston, I think, and do that. But but here I am with my unconscious bias that says no problem, I can take care of this, right? And I got HR here on the site. Let's you know let's talk together and we'll put together the presentation that we're going to tell these people. So you know come today we we get them all in a in a room and HR's there and our legals there and I'm the guy up in in front you know telling them this story kind of that I that I just told you. And I can tell you, it did not go well. <laughs> it did not go well at all. Uh, it was very. It got very hostile, and we got questions about you know where's where's that sob you know that uh, told us we were going to go work for uh, the uh, the contract manufacturing business. Uh, the, and 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 what I realized here in the end is that they didn't want. And here I was, their plant leader. You know, I you know I, these guys all worked for me. Right? They didn't want to hear from me at all. They wanted to hear from the guy who told them the original message of what they were going to do and tell him why it no longer was going to be the case. As a matter of fact, uh, after, afterwards, one-on-one, -on -one, I was having conversations with some of these people, and they were asking me questions about things that were in the presentation. And I said, I told, I mean, he said we talked about that in the presentation, and here's where it was. And they're like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't. And I'm like, and I, I can show them the slides. And what it, what it really uh, um, was clear to me is that after about the first five minutes, they were so ticked off, they weren't listening to a word that I was saying. I was the wrong messenger to be given this message. Yeah, they, it sounded like they wanted that, the person to have some accountability. They, that's exactly who, right. Who against his word. That's exactly right. They wanted, the, they wanted the person that was accountable for telling them one thing and then changing it. You got to have the right message, but you also have to have, have, to have the right messenger yeah, wow, that can go. You can go a lot of ways with that. You can you can apply that to a lot of things. You can, you know what? Trust is the big thing there too, right? Um, you can't have a messenger come into a, a group uh, that they don't trust that person, right? They're not going to believe the message. So, so there's and I and I said that to, to you kind of, and what I wrote back to you is is at the times uh, when when I was uh, successful, my group was trusting me, and they were trusting where we were going. And the times where I struggled, you know, uh, there was there was lack of trust. Yeah. So when when you were struggling, you look back and you see that trust was really low. Yeah. And, yeah. and when so, things and were going so, well, trust was high in the organization. Yeah. And and some of those were the individuals, like some of the individuals that were staunch union folks, and I was a management person. They just didn't trust me. They were never going to trust me. And I tried to do some things to kind of get them to trust me. And, and frankly, I shouldn't have spent the energy because it was never going to happen because that bias that was in their head was, I'm never, you know, you are who you, you, regardless of who you tell me you are, I know who you are and I don't trust you. Hmm. Almost gets back to unconscious bias too. Yes. Right. Yeah, well, I really like that concept, Rick, around the message and the messenger, because a lot of times we we think about the message, like that's where ninety five percent of our effort comes from, right? And we just think, okay, well, who's the person that's available to go deliver this message, right? When right. We, it it seems like that we should really spend more time thinking about the messenger too, because if the right person is not delivering it, then it doesn't matter how great the message is. That's right. It's going to fall on deaf ears. That's right. Really, really like that. So you spent 36 years at Dow, yep. long career. You stayed at one company the whole time, had a lot of opportunities, moved around, traveled the world, led in a lot of variety of ways. And we've talked a lot about that so far. So that was a big part of your identity. 
three years ago, you decided to retire. And I know that that wasn't a snap decision, but you decided to retire. So yep. I would be, I'm very curious because I know how much you cared about your employees. I know how much you cared about Dow and how much of your identity was wrapped into that. Could you walk through a little bit about what that transition has been like? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I will say that, uh, you know, after about 36 years and the higher you get in, into an organization, um, the more they ask you to, uh, to, to go do, uh, you know, if, if I didn't have, uh, you know, 10 balls in the air uh, all the time, I probably would have stayed longer. And financially, I didn't need to stay stay longer. But I was very, very happy to have a career where I got to a point where I had a significant impact on a lot of people around uh, around the globe. Okay. Um, and and if, I, if, if I could do just pieces of that, uh, um, you know, now I probably still uh, would, but I, uh, I've actually thought about this and that now what I'm trying to do uh, is have, uh, instead of that significant impact of uh, lots of people around the, uh, the, the globe, is have a deeper impact on a smaller group of people, you know, the, 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 the people uh, that, that I've loved all my whole life, right? Uh, so that's, that's now my, uh, my, my purpose. And that impact, really, uh, you know, I'm trying it to, to be whatever they need. As an example, you know, Laura and Micah and, and Jensen need help, you know, moving. It's a different kind of impact, right? But it's what's needed. It's not about me. It's about what they need. So you're basically translating servant leadership to being a servant father, a servant grandfather, a servant yeah. friend. Yeah. Then your purpose or your why has shifted again. It, yeah. it continue. It's a continuous evolving process. Yeah. I think, I think we all have to check in on our why on our purpose every couple of years at a minimum. And with your retirement, it, yeah, I'm sure you, you, you obviously did a, a look back and think, okay, reevaluation, what's my purpose now? And you just laid it out really well. And I think it's a, a wonderful purpose. I think you can have a deep impact on, yeah. on a lot of people. Yeah. You know, and, um, I, um, I, I keep thinking about what kind of, of uh, charitable work I want to go do uh, as well. You know, I don't know how much I want to jump into some other things because I see folks, I see things like I know that, uh, you know, um, my, my son-in-law's in the army and he's a career army guy, you know, so, and, and uh, you know, I've got one grandchild and one, and one on the way. Uh, so for me, you know, I don't want to get 10 balls in the air. I want to, I want to, make sure I'm available to do what the, a few people need me to go do the important people to me. Yeah. I think that's really good. And how has the transition been? You know, if, if you think about the first couple of months, because I can imagine that's gotta be hard yes. waking up every yes. day and having something to do for yes. 36 years. And then it's like, okay, now what? Yeah. Mary says, uh, she says to me sometimes, she says, I think you're bored. Do you need, you need to go do something. And, <laughs> And, and, uh, you know, sometimes I think, I, I do think about some of those things, but you know, Hey, I don't mind saying that I, I, that I have some health stuff that I got to work on too. And I don't want to, I don't want to shortchange some years here. Uh, and I see, and, and some of that frankly is, is, is your dad is because coming from your, from your dad, right. Is that, uh, the, the older, I, I see that the, you know, our bodies, the older we get, the more things start to not work the way they used to, uh, uh, to, to, to work. And we are blessed with a certain amount of time on this earth, right? So I'm fortunate to be able to say, make the decision to say, okay, um, with the time that I got on this earth, thinking about, you know, what my health may or may not be now versus, versus in the future, where am I going to spend that time? I think that's really great. I love that you're thinking about your health and I know Mary bakes some amazing cookies, but you know, I maybe only have like two or three instead of four or five. I don't know. Maybe send some here. I'm sure my children and myself would love them. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I, you're, you're spot on. I mean, with my dad passing a couple of years ago, I know you two were extremely close and yeah, that, that was a stark reminder that life is precious and you know, use the time that you can with the people that you care about and go do the things right now. 
go to them right now, whatever they are, go do them. If they're important to you or they seem important to you, go do it because life is very precious and, you know, it could be upended pretty quickly. That is true. Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a stark reminder and he, that's the, I think that's the gift my dad gave me. And I think many other people in his life, probably yourself included that that's the gift he gave with his passing. It's unfortunate that it happened, but he is that reminder that, you know, to take advantage of what we have and be grateful for what we have and go do the things that we should do that we want to do. And, you know, if your, if your purpose is to be there for others or, or, you know, to make deep impact on the couple of people that you're around, go do that. That's if if that's what you say your purpose is and go do it. And, um, so I, I always encourage anyone to go figure out what their purpose is, go define it and be intentional at it. Yeah. And be intentional. Yeah. Act, act on it. Don't just say that's what it is. Like go do it. And I think you do a great job of, of acting on that and being very intentional and uh, around spending time. So your purpose or your why does not surprise me, but I'm glad to hear that that's what it is. And it aligns with the actions that you take. Rick, I, I'm very grateful for the conversation today. I love the backstory of, you know, how you grew up. I appreciate you being a little bit vulnerable and you know, sharing some of these things and so much to learn from your 36 year career, how you've led, how you've, you know, understood your unconscious bias, developing a servant leadership mindset, and just being open and sharing your thoughts on a growth mindset, your thoughts on your purpose and your why. I, I'm just very grateful for the stories and for the time that you've spent. So thank you a ton for being on. I had a lot of fun and I certainly learned a lot and I want to go dive into unconscious bias because it's a concept I feel like I need to be a little bit, a little bit better with. So thank you for sharing that with us. I I applaud you for, uh, for doing this. This takes a lot of work, but uh, I, I I can see it's beneficial for you and, uh, and I know it'll be beneficial for, uh, for others as well. We've built with Rick Lombardi. So Rick, thank you very much. Thanks to all the listeners out there. We'll talk to you soon. Hey, listener, it's Clay. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Build with Clay podcast. I encourage you to subscribe wherever you listen so you can discover all the episodes and hear from others about their growth journey. If you know me at all, you know that I love feedback. So please rate the episode and provide your comments so I can grow and be better for you and our guests. For more content, you can find Build With Clay on Instagram at buildwithclay and head to claydavis.substack.com where you can sign up for a bi-weekly newsletter sent directly to your inbox. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you're inspired to grow.